0: Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Praise God. Praise God for that. So glad to have you all here this morning. If you could open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and get your message outline handy, I appreciate that. We're going to start a new series this morning called The Heart of Jesus, and I'm excited about this series. In relationships, there's always struggles, right? Show me a relationship that doesn't have a struggle. Relationships between husband and wives have their different seasons, don't they? But if you ask one of them, how they would rate their marriage relationship on a scale 1 to 10, 10 being the best. One of them might say, oh, I think it's a 9, but the other one might say, no, I think it's a 2. And it's amazing how two people can be in the same relationship. One thinks it's going so well, and the other thinks it's going terrible, right? And this happens not just in marriage. It's sad when it happens in marriage, but it happens sometimes between uh, moms and dads and their children where their moms and dads that think, man, the relationship is going great with their children, not only to find out their children's ready to leave the house, right? To find that out. But not only happens with moms and dads, it's terrible when it happens between friends. It's terrible when it happens between business colleagues or, or between an employer and you. I can't imagine what it's like to walk into your place of work when you think everything's going all right, and you walk in your place of work, and they give you the pink slip to say your, your performance wasn't up to par. And some of you have lived that. You know what that means. But I tell you, if, as sad as those scenarios are, there's nothing worse than it being happening when it's between you and God, right? Where, where you think you're doing well spiritually, you think, "Boy, God, my relationship between you and a scale of one to ten, it's like a nine, a nine and a half." And God looks at you and says, "No, it's not. It's a one or two at best." And if I were, if I were to ask you, what is the most sobering passage in all of the New Testament? This would have to be one of them. Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one through twenty-three. Can you imagine hearing Jesus saying this? It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name? In your name, drive out demons and perform miracles, many miracles. In other words, Jesus. We thought we were a nine with you. We were doing great works in your name. We're preaching your name. We're doing all kinds of ministry in your name. We go to church every week. We give. And Jesus says in verse 23, he says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is saying, you misread it. You clearly misunderstood me because we're not a nine. We're not in a good place. Our relationship is not good is what Jesus is saying and said, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty frightening passage, Matthew chapter 7, right? How many don't want to experience Matthew chapter 7? Hopefully everybody has their now. I don't want to experience that. When Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you, right? The question we have to ask ourselves, how does that happen? How does that happen in our lives? How does it get to a place where two people who are in the same relationship, but have totally different views of how that relationship is going? How does that happen in our lives? The answer is simple. It happens whenever you or I lose track of the heart of the person we're in a relationship with we lose heart of the person we're in a relationship with that's where we're going to start this new series we're going to study the sermon on the mount so you and i can reconnect because there's nothing worse in the christian life that we lose track of the heart of jesus amen there's nothing worse than that that's the reason why we read the bible that's the reason we meet together and worship together we study the word of god so our hearts can be realigned with the heart of Jesus. That's what we want to do these next few weeks, to realign our hearts with Jesus. As we study the Sermon on the Mount, I think we're going to discover what I've discovered is sometimes we've misread the heart of Jesus, or we misalign with the heart of Jesus, or misunderstood his heart. But one of the ways that we misread the heart of Jesus, I think, is is to think that what he's after really is ritual, right? In fact, what Jesus is really after is relationship. I have been a pastor for a very long time, and and oftentimes, I find people inside the church, they feel like what God is really after is me checking all the boxes, that God's really after that, you know, checklist, let me check the boxes, you know, checking the boxes. Do I pray? Am I praying around the right amount of time? Check that box. Do Am I reading? Am I reading the right amount of time? You know, and check the box, check the list down. Am I serving the right amount of time? Am I enough ministry serving? Am I checking the boxes? And when you get to heaven, God's going to take that that list from you, and he's gonna look over and he's gonna measure and he's gonna give you a score and to see if you get in, right? That's the way many many people think in the church. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. What God is after is our heart. He's not just after our hand, he's after our heart. And God is what is God is after is a relationship, just not a religious routine. He's just not after that. And so many people think that. It doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus, it doesn't matter that how long at all. What he's after, he's after your heart heart that's what god wants is your heart and if you were here today and you 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 haven't believed in jesus yet and maybe you have questions and, and you're looking for answers you have doubts let me just dis- dispel some myths about him for you jesus is not about ritual and routine understand not about the rituals not about the routine what he's about is a loving relationship that he wants to have with you what he wants is your heart understanding he wants your heart he wants all of you not some of you he wants your heart and he wants you to give him his heart so if you have your bibles if you can get into matthew chapter five the first uh book of the new testament of the gospels in matthew chapter five we're going to begin the sermon on the mount in the next several weeks the sermon on the mount is matthews five six and seven and here's the big idea the big idea i want to give you this morning is jesus is teaching about the kingdom of god the way of the kingdom And the big idea is kingdom living brings life and light to the world. It's when we live this way. Not just to us personally, but also through us to the world. This is what God wants to do, right? And so you need to understand the historical context of Matthew chapter 5. The historical context in Matthew chapter 5 begins and starts in Matthew chapter 4. This is where Jesus inaugurates his earthly ministry. It's a powerful chapter, but please read Matthew chapter 4 on your own, okay? This week, read it. We're not going to have a chance to go through it, but read it for yourself, a powerful chapter. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins to call in his disciples. He's saying to them, come and follow me, come and follow me. And you've read that chapter before, but read it again. But he doesn't just begin calling his disciples. That's not all he's doing. But he initiates his ministry through public teaching, uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom from city to city, from town to town, going out, saying to men and women, repent of the way you've been living, because I have a better way. I have a new way, a way that leads to human uh, prosperous and flourishing, a way that leads to right standing before God is what he was saying. But he didn't just teach. A lot of us love Jesus as the teacher, amen. We love him as the teacher. But he also demonstrated the power of the kingdom through signs and wonders and miracles. That was associated with this ministry all the time. Everywhere he went, he, he was teaching and demonstrating the power of the kingdom. That's what we see. He was demonstrating the power of the kingdom wherever he went so people could see that. And now you can imagine, if you're a great teacher as Jesus is, and he was the best, to accompany that with signs, wonders, and miracles, you can imagine the crowds that followed him. Jesus had huge crowds, large, large crowds. And there he is. He was teaching on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee there. His disciples were there with him. There were some followers, uh, and there were some uh, people who had not put their faith and trusted him, and I think interspersed in that large crowd was probably some scribes and Pharisees. And the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mouth, I believe, is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus says this. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. But you have to understand, at that time, the Pharisees and the religious leaders thought they were doing everything perfect. They were fulfilling all the laws so they were going to get into heaven. There was no doubt about it. And the thing is that the people at that time thought they were too. They thought the Pharisees and the teachers of law were living perfect. They were doing everything that God wanted to do. And what Jesus was saying, he was letting the Pharisees and all of them know they're right there. Their own righteousness was not going to get them in heaven. Their own righteousness was not going to make them right before God. But it was Jesus' righteousness that, that they needed. That's what he was getting across to him in in the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, he says there are these kingdom truths, these truths from heaven, that need to be applied to earth. When they're applied to earth, applied to your life, you're going to live differently in this world than the world's standards, is what he's saying. You will live differently when you apply the kingdom truths to your life. What you and I get a chance to do over the next several weeks is go through this powerful message. I believe it's the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. So let's get started in Matthew chapter 5. You ready? Verse 1, verse 1. Let's read verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and disciples came to him. So Jesus went up on a mountain, and he sat down and began to preach. How many of you say, you say, uh, uh, just get to the bottom line. How many of you are bottom line people? You say, I'm just a bottom line person. You say, just don't give me the full report, just give me the bottom line when you're reading the word of god that's not a good way to read the word of god let me just say that's not a good way to read it because everything in the bible is there for a reason everything's there for a reason and it's important there's nothing extra not any throw-ins or add-ons god doesn't do that everything's there for a reason and the holy spirit is intentional every verse in scripture is important and significant Every one. you say what's the importance of verse one i would say probably the geography is important what he's saying here the fact the bible says that jesus was sitting on a mountainside is very significant matthew wrote who's under the inspiration of the holy spirit put that in there for reason because mountains are significant in the history of israel aren't they if you read when you read from the old testament to the new testament what you find out you will find that mountaintops are associated with revelation it's always associated with revelation so this certainly is true in exodus chapter 19 what you find in Exodus chapter 19, Yahweh initiates a new covenant with His people Israel. Uh, he established a covenant with them. He does so through His chosen servant Moses, who's up on Mount Sinai. God gives him these two stone tablets with the law written on them. And now it comes, Moses down from the mountain, shining with the glory of God upon him, right? With those two stone tablets with the mo- with the law written on it. And now we have Jesus now sitting on a mountain on a mountainside in Galilee near Capernaum. And he's sitting there as a great rabbi of the the people of Israel, our rabbi. Jesus is our rabbi. And he's inaugurating a new covenant, what he's doing here. But here's Jesus. Here's one who's greater than Moses. Here's one who's greater than Moses. Amen? He's greater than Moses. And this new covenant doesn't come through laws written on tablets. But this new covenant comes through new kingdom ethic that he's putting across. A new way of living. And what it was, it was Jesus' way of living, what he was given. This is the way you're to live. This is Jesus' way of living, what he was given him, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not written on stone tablets, but it's written on the tablets of their hearts. That's what he's getting across. I'm after your heart. And Jesus, what he's after of every one of you, he's after your hearts. He wants your heart because Jesus knows if he captures your heart, then he captures your imagination. If he captures your heart, he captures your love. And if he captured your heart, your body will follow then, right? Your body will follow. Jesus wants our heart, not just our hands. And so many people think he just wants our hands, that I'm just here doing, doing. No, he wants your heart first. And out of that will come service, but he wants your hearts. And so Jesus is teaching on the side of the mountain, a beautiful teaching, this wonderful uh, sermon, this teaching that's coming from his heart he's teaching from his heart in this this sermon and if we get this right i think we get right the heart of jesus but also i think if we get this right we get the heart of the gospel we really understand the gospel message we learn how he wants us to live not as rule keepers that's not what he's talking about here he says but those who are so in love with jesus so in love with him that our desire is to please him in everything everything that we do he's first that's what he wants That's what he's sharing in the Sermon in the Mouth, that you become so in love with me that your major desire, your most important thing you do is to please me in everything you do because I want your heart. I'm giving you my heart. He's sharing his heart, and I want yours. So what I want to do, if you have your outlines ready, I want to give you two great truths of the kingdom of heaven, two great truths. The first one, the way of the kingdom brings blessing. It brings blessing. And we'll see in verses 2 through 12, well, you're going to find that the blessing that comes is not the kind of blessing that you and i are used to it's not what we think when we think of blessing let's read verse two and three and he began teach to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven the word blessed is going to be repeated over and over and over again and when you're studying the bible one of the things you look for are words that are repeated often right and it's a sign for words for you to investigate right you're to look those words up when you see them repeated often And when you look up the word blessed, what you literally find, it literally means is, it means fortunate or happy is what it means. So what are you saying? You're fortunate or you're happy or you should be or you are blessed if you are poor in spirit. Why? He says because you're going to receive the kingdom of heaven is what he says. Let's go on and read verses 4 through 12. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are nine times that he uses the word blessed in this passage. For eight beatitudes are these types of attitudes or dispositions that shape the kingdoms, what he's given here. So what I want you to notice are the seven promises that come along with this. He's given us seven promises. Did you notice the future tense? Of every one of those actions or attitudes or dispositions. That as if you live this way— He's saying there's a future promise. You live this way, there's a future promise. There's this sense that the kingdom is here, yet there's a blessing to come. The kingdom is here, but there's a blessing to come is what he's saying to us. Let's look at it in verse 4. We see it. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, there's a promise attached when you live the way of Jesus. Living the way of Jesus is a promise attached to it, is what he's saying. You live this way, and there's a promise going to come to you. But we got to live this way. But when you look at this list, it's so counterintuitive to what we see in the world today. I read this list, and I'm like, I don't know about you, but I I look at this and say, Jesus, I don't feel like most of this stuff is a blessing. Do you? You look at this list, and I I don't see it as much of a blessing. Let me ask you, when's the last time you said to someone, you're blessed if you're poor does anybody want that blessing that you're blessed if you're poor we look at it as what Or blessed if you mourn blessed if you are persecuted i mean we're honest with ourselves we look at this list and it's kind of foreign to us isn't it it's kind of strange to be blessed for those kind of things that's not how we look at it but it could be that this list is foreign to us because we misread or we misunderstood the heart of jesus we haven't seen his heart in this and could it be that this list is foreign to us because what we've done, we put in there, in this text, our own wants instead of reading for the heart of Jesus or his will. And many times we do that. We do that on our own. We're looking for our own ones, So we're not looking, Jesus, what's your heart in this passage? What are you saying? What's this about you? How are you revealing your nature and your character to me? How are you revealing your heart? And we're looking for our own ones instead of revealing what Jesus wants in his will done in our hearts. So let's look at this. How would the original audience have heard this passage when they heard it? What Jesus was saying, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about material poverty. Get that out. He's not talking about that at all. But he's talking about the type of neediness that you and I feel is when we come to the understanding that I am bankrupt apart from Jesus. Doesn't matter how much money I have. Doesn't matter how much success that I have. Apart from Jesus in terms of spirituality, in terms of, eternal things, I am nothing. That's what he's talking about. I am nothing and you are nothing. And it's when you and I get that at place that we are blessed. That's what he's saying. When you get that at place, when you understand you are nothing concerning eternal things and spirituality apart from Jesus, that's when you become blessed because you understand that we're bankrupt guys without him only way we get into heaven is through Jesus, and he's sharing that with them. Blessed in the eyes of people when we look at this, when we look at this, probably not, maybe not maybe, but definitely blessed in the eyes of God when we get to that place. The only thing that gives me anything is Jesus, is Jesus first. And we like to say that with words, but do we really mean it with our hearts? And that's what Jesus was asking, I want your heart. But we live in a day that's so opposite of that, right? Today, the thinking is, blessed are you if you accumulate the most toys, Blessed are you if you have the most likes on Facebook. Blessed are you if you have the most money in the bank. And God operates on a different system. So it calls you and I to make a choice. Are we going to live for the masses? Or are we going to live for the audience of one? Meaning Jesus, meaning God. Are we going to do that? How are we going to live our lives? How many want to be blessed in the eyes of God? And not blessed in the eyes of the masses of the people. How many want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, when we get to heaven? Amen? We want to hear that. But so many times the applause of people to hear that is so attractive to us that we want that and we almost will do anything we do something we want to hear hey great job we want to hear that and when we hear that there's a reward but it's so much better to say god i'm doing it to the audience of one i want your applause i want to please you in everything i do and if the applause comes with that that's fine but if it doesn't we're all right as long as i'm pleasing him that's what matters we put him first the applause of one of jesus But Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you if you mourn. He's not saying blessed are you because you're sad over losing a job, losing an opportunity in business, or a loss of a loved one. Yet he comforts us through that. He does. He comforts us through that. But the type of mourning that he's talking about here in this passage, that he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, is the grief and sadness that we feel over our own sins. Let me ask you, when's the last time you— you mourned over your own sin. When's the last time that you did that? I'm not talking about, you know, crying tears of guilt. We watch that being played out every day on the news through politicians, especially in election year, through famous people and actors get their hands caught in the cookie jar and they start crying those crocodile tears, right? We see that. And then they get this well-voiced or PR apology on there. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about, your heart being grieved, your heart being grieved even when no one else knows you've sinned, that's what he's talking about. Even when no one else knows what you've done, your heart being grieved over your sin, that you see that. And even when everyone else would justify your sin, when people would look at you and say, you know, I applaud you and you're behaving in a way that is different than the kingdom of heaven, different way than Jesus' way, that people would applaud you in that. And that's wrong, right? Say, hey, amen, that's wrong. Anytime we, we behave in a way that's different than Jesus' way, the way of the kingdom, is always wrong, Right? And maybe that's how we know uh, we're spiritually alive. Maybe that's how we know that a relationship with Jesus is like an 8 or a 9, because nobody's a 10, let's face it. An 8 or a 9 that our life is like that is when we grieve. Our heart is grieving over our own sins that no one else would even convict us over. We need to pray for that. We need to pray that we mourn over our sins, that we grieve over them, that we see how how, how wrong they are before God. We need to realize that. That's what he's talking about those who mourn over their sin, those who see how grievous it is to God that we would see that. And this, then he's got another one. He says, it's an interesting one. Blessed are the meek. We live in a day and age where the whole mantra is meekness is somehow weakness, right? <laughs> meekness somehow. We don't applaud, meek, applaud meekness in our world today, but Jesus does. Jesus is applauding this characteristic, this type of humility where we become humble before God that Jesus' vengeance is yours. That I'm not going to strike back at anyone. I'm going to let you handle it. I'm going to let you get revenge. I'm going to let you do it. I'm not going to try to justify myself. But what Jesus calls you and I to be humble, and humble ourselves before others, right? That we humble ourselves. Listen, you're not going to get applause from people in the business world. You're probably not going to get applause from family and friends when we act out in humility. But what Jesus is saying here in this passage, if you live the way of the kingdom, God will call you blessed if you live his way, not the way the world, not the way the world's telling you to do, but the way of Jesus, he says, I will call you blessed. But after have to admit, it's hard. It's hard to live this way, as it's not easy to live this way when we see the world living contrary to this, and Jesus is calling us to a different way. It's not easy, easy to live this way when our world and our culture is constantly sending the signals that contradict or trying to war our heart away from the gospel and the way of the kingdom and everything. We can see that it contradicts what God is saying, what Jesus is saying here. We're supposed to live this way. And, and the king, I mean the world is calling us to live this way. It's contrary. And it's intentional. The enemy wants us to disobey God and not live the way of the kingdom, but live the way of the world and our culture. It's like it's but when we do this, when we live Jesus' way is what he's saying here. Though it's hard, it's so worth it. It's so worth it when we live Jesus' way. It's like reading and studying the Bible hopefully all you say, yes, I read and study the Bible. But listen, reading and studying the Bible, I don't know about for you, but it's hard. It's laborious to really get in there and start digging through the Scriptures. And I have to do it for a living. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's not easy. You get in there and study the Scriptures and have to look at it and read it and what does this word and have to investigate. I mean, if you just read the Bible and not ever investigate or research it, that's kind of easy, I guess. But just to get in and start studying and understand what it means. It's not easy, I don't always enjoy it, I'll be honest to you. But you read and study it because you enjoy the results that you get from reading and studying God's Word. You read and study God's Word because you want to grow in the knowledge. You want to get to know Him better. You want to go and grow in His grace. And you read and study in the Word because the results that come from that, because I get to know Jesus better, and I get to understand His heart, and I get to understand Him. And through the Word of God, He transforms me from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we do it for the results. That's why we do it. So we do it for that. The same as with being a peacemaker. The same with being meek. The same with showing uh, forgiveness to someone else. It's not easy. But we do it because the results are so wonderful and they're so amazing what happens. To be blessed in the eyes of God, to live the good life before God. That's why we do it, to please Him in everything that we do. That we're so in love with Him, we're so intimate with Him, that we want to please Him in everything. And if He's telling me to do this, I'll do it, Jesus because I want to please you in every way of my life. Jesus, like the rabbis of the day, was dispensing wisdom. The wisdom, how to live well and how to die well. How many want to live well and how many want to die well? How many of you say, yes, I want to live well and I want to die well? What he was doing here, he's like, this is what it's like. If you follow Jesus' way, if you follow the way of the kingdom, that's what he was telling them, then you will do it. You will live well and you will die well. This is the way we do it, guys. Not any other way. Not what the world is telling you. Jesus was giving us the way right here in the Sermon on the Mount. You want to live well. You want to die well. This is the way. Jesus' way. The kingdom way. Let me give you the second truth. He says the way of the kingdom impacts the world. He says if you live this way, you will impact the world for Christ and all of his glory for his glory. Let's begin reading right in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, "You are the salt of the earth, but but the salt loses its saltiness. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. How many of you have ever ever ate stale chips, or chips that have lost their saltiness? I don't know about you, for me." Once I taste the chip and it's stale or lost its saltiness, you can throw the bag away. You can ask my wife, throw it away. I don't want to taste the chip. I don't want the chip. It's no good. And that's what he's kind of saying. Something that's lost its saltiness, it's no good. It's no good. Let's go on to read verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, our memory verse. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven jesus the master illustrator he said if you want to live this have this type of impact on the world then you got to live the kingdom way you've got to live jesus way is what he's saying and the first analogy he gives us you will be soft is what he said you will be soft back then what was the primary purpose of soft it was a preservative preserve things so what jesus was saying when you live this way, when you live the way of the kingdom, when you live Jesus way, this will preserve your life. It will keep you from getting rotten is what he's saying. It will keep your attitude from getting rotten. It will keep your actions from getting rotten. It will keep your words from getting rotten. When you don't live this way, you get rotten. You get spoiled. And spiritually, you are good for nothing is what he's saying. Spiritually, you're good for nothing if you, you lose your saltiness. But not only this way will, pre- will preserve you is what he's saying But living this way will allow the grace of God to work in and through your life. So through you, you will be able to preserve people around you. Not only you, but people around you will be able to preserve. Listen to me, husbands and fathers. When we live this way, we can preserve our family for God. We can preserve the church for God. We can preserve our community for God when we live this way. Ladies, when we live this way, when we yield our hearts and minds to Jesus, when we're doing this way, we can speak with influence in people's life, and impact people's lives. That's what he's saying. When we live this way, when well, we have to live Jesus' way. That's how we make impact. And we can make impact in the ways, but not for eternal things, not through spiritual things. We have to live Jesus' way to do that, to make impact for eternity. Amen? That's the way we do it. The other thing that salt does, it creates thirst. Let's go back to the chips. If you eat a whole bag of chips, salty chips, when you're done eating that bag, you're thirsty for something to drink, right? you got to have something to drink. And that's the way it is with our lives. When our lives, we live Jesus' way, our lives should make others thirsty for Christ. Is your life making someone thirsty for Jesus? When people look at you, they're thirsty for Christ because they see how you live your life. Don't get me wrong. Our, proclama- our proclamation should make people thirsty for Christ, but so should our lifestyle make people thirsty for Christ. And that's what he's saying. People should see our meekness. They should see our, our love. They should see our, our close relationship with Jesus and how we want to please him in everything that we do. They should see our, our mercy. They should see as we're persecuted that it's a blessing. Everything that we do. When people look at us, they say, I want what you have. And what do you have is Jesus. How many want to live that life where others say, I want what you have? Because that's what God wants. That I want what you have. I want what you have, not because I've got money or I've got uh, whatever, but I have Jesus. They see Jesus living in and through me. They say, I want that. I want what you have, and it's Jesus, right? Jesus says here, not only will you be soft, but he says you will be light as well. What is the purpose of light? To dispel darkness, right? To dispel darkness. Light is an attractional force when set against a dark background. And you and I live in a dark world where there's sin, and it's broken, and there's evil in the world. There's darkness all around us. When the love of Christ is at work in us, we are like shining lights that people are attracted to. And you and I get an opportunity to redirect them to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do, redirect them to Jesus. This is the light, right? And I want to be a light, and I want you to be a light. I want us all to be a light because that's what he's called us to be, to be a light in this world. And the way we become a light is by leave, living Jesus' way, by living the kingdom way. His light will shine brightly in through our lives. And then we reflect the true light, which is Jesus, right? But we have to live the kingdom way. That's the only way it happens, is living the kingdom way, is living Jesus' way. And that's what he's going to lay out for us, Jesus' way. And so we have over the next several weeks, you and I have an opportunity to walk through this, this wonderful sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, is by Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But there's a question you need to ask yourself all through these several weeks we're going to go through this. And hopefully you'll be here every week and invite others to come out. But to ask yourself the question, is this true of me? What we're reading, what we're going to be studying each week, is it true of me? Are the things that I read in this passage, is this happening in my life? Personally, you've got to take it personal, right? Is my heart aligned with the heart of Jesus? Is it truly aligned with his? Or could it be that I've misread Jesus? And I'm thinking that maybe my relationship with him on a scale 1 to 10 is maybe a 9, when it's actually a 1. Many times that happens, guys. We misread the heart of Jesus. We misunderstood his heart. And we're living this life, and we're trying to do the wrong things for the wrong reason and the wrong motives. And Jesus is trying to redirect our lives. See, there, there was two audience when he preached this message to the people that day. And his disciples, those who had already put their faith in Jesus Christ. And there was another group who did not know him yet. And this morning, there's two groups of people that are here this morning, too. There's those of you that already know Jesus Christ. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You are followers of Jesus. Praise God for that. But we need to be challenged. We need to realign our hearts with Jesus. That maybe all these years, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer in Christ, maybe all these years you've misunderstood or misread the heart of Jesus. Well, you're thinking, man, I'm going great, and you've finally realized through this maybe this series that I haven't been really living for the right motives, for the right reasons. And I've been trying to do these things for something else, for the applause of people, whatever it may be, and that you would realign your heart with Jesus, that we'd reconnect with him and get our hearts right. That's what I want to see happen through this series, The Heart of Jesus, that we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. But there's also maybe some here in the other group that you are here today and you don't know Jesus. You never put your faith in him. And maybe you have questions. Please listen. Jesus loves you. What he wants more than anything else for you to know His heart. To capture your heart, so you might experience the healing, and the power that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ in Him alone, Him alone, and nothing else, just in Christ. And if you don't know Jesus to Christ today as your Savior, I pray today that you would accept Him. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, and this morning, this morning right now, you're sitting there and you say, "Boy, I know I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. everyone in this room's a sinner. We're all sinners. And because of my sin, I'm separated from Jesus. And I understand that Jesus Christ." died on the cross for my sins that on that cross he paid for my sin debt completely he was my substitute that's the grace of god but you and i have to respond to that we respond to that by faith by saying jesus i know i'm a sinner and i know that you're the son of god that you're god and i know that you died on the cross for my sins and today i put my faith and my trust in jesus christ for forgiveness of sins if you've never done that or you're not sure about that or you have questions about that or you're not sure you're going to go to heaven if you were to die today please come and and talk to me after the service that's the most important decision you can make in your life because it's going to depend on where you spend eternity here in this life we can live 100 years or whatever we're going to live in this life I don't know but eternity is forever it's not 100, it's not 1000, that's 10,000 it's forever And what we do with this life, what we do with Jesus in this life, will depend where I would spend eternity. Not checking the boxes. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I'm going to check the boxes to make sure I get it. No, that's not it at all. It's what you do with Jesus. Do I accept him as my Savior or just reject him or don't do anything? If you you don't do anything, it means you reject him. But you have to reach out and accept him by faith. And if you've never done that, please do that today. Amen. Please, I challenge and encourage you to be here the next several weeks and invite others because it's going to be an important series for you and I to realign our hearts. If we don't know Jesus, then we would get right with him through faith in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because you love us. And we look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. What a message. What a message, Lord, that's coming directly from the heart of God your heart. And Lord, if it's anything that we want, we want to know your heart. We want to live your way. So Lord, I pray as we go through this series, this, this Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 5 6, and 7, Lord, you'd help us to understand your heart, that we might see it more clearly. We may not misread it. We, and Lord, when you convict us of something, that we'd realign our hearts with your hearts. Let us deny the world's ways, the culture ways, Lord. Let us say we want Jesus' way. May that be our heart and everything that we do, that we're so in love with you, Jesus, that our main priority in life is to please you in everything that we do. Help us to get to that place. Help us to realize, Lord, it's not about routine and, and doing all the religion, but it's about a relationship, And that Jesus, you want my heart because you gave me your heart. Lord, I pray for anybody here that knows you today, and Lord, they're trying to live the Christian life apart from you. Trying to think they got to do it in their own effort and they can't. They gotta give their heart to Jesus. They we realize today we've got to give our hearts. And all those that are here and they don't know you, and they're trying to please you in every way. Lord, they can't please you in any way because first they have to know Jesus to be aligned with his heart. And they might understand that and put their faith and trust in him today for forgiveness of sins, Lord. I pray that for their I pray for their soul. That they would see their need as a uh, that they're, they're, they're a center in need of a Savior. I pray for every one of us as a church, Lord, we unite our hearts and minds to you this morning, or realign our hearts and minds and take that first step to realize, Lord, none of us are perfect, none of us arrived. And maybe we've misread your heart. Maybe we haven't clearly understood your heart. I can say, Lord, many times I'm like that. They can know your heart until so sometimes I read the Word of God and I find out, boy, I misunderstood it. And I'm so thankful for your Word. I'm so thankful for your teaching, Jesus. I'm so thankful for your forgiveness and your understanding, and to love me so much. You draw us back to yourself, and that's what you want to do this this morning, this week, the next several weeks, this year, as it draws to Jesus that we would see you more clearly, understand you more clearly, and to walk with you as we see your the way you want us, that will glorify you. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We ask all these things in our wonderful Savior's name, in Jesus' name, amen.